Well, if you're not turning left until Thursday, why are you in the left lane? I, uh, oh, are you passing somebody? No, the left lane. Oh, hi, it's uh, Pete Pomisano. Welcome to Off Road, an RLTP podcast. As always, I thank you for listening. I thank you for downloading, and I thank you for all of the nice comments I've been getting. This week, Lorraine O'Donnell. Lorraine and I go back a few years, and she is now the managing director slash artistic director over at the Cavanoke Theater, where I began my professional career a few years ago. So since taking over, Lorraine has made some changes at the theater, and the college has been very, very supportive of her and very, very supportive of the Cavanoke in general. So I thought uh, this week I would talk to Lorraine and find out what she has in mind for the future of the Cavanoke Theater. As most of our regular listeners probably know, the Cavanoke Theater is a professional theater located on the Duville College campus on uh, Porter Avenue between Prospect and Fargo. Now, the Cav is arguably one of the most important and influential theaters in Buffalo. So here's Lorraine O'Donnell talking about what's coming up in her future and the future of the Cavanoke. Well, you did. You did sign the, the NDA, of course. Oh, of course, of course, where, where I did. Where people have to pretend that they like me and, yeah. and not be mean to me, or oh, hold the, on, I'm out. I'm, I'm out. I can't work. <laughs> reveal under any of the horrible things that went on. Yeah, I can't work under those circumstances. I'm sorry. What circumstances can you work under? <laughs> Very few. Very few. And, and of course, pay no attention when I'm looking down at the sheet and and, tr- and trying to adjust levels because I'm really not. You know, I'm just playing this by ear. Oh, I'm going to mock you. I mean, that's allowed, right? Why Why did you think I invited you? <laughs> I've, good, had, all good, these, I've good. had all these very respectful, nice people uh, talking to me, and now it's... Uh, and now it's time for some fun. <sighs> now it's time to hit the big time. <laughs> so, uh, i got to tell you. Oh, welcome, Lorraine O'Donnell. I, I started oh, are we the, starting oh, now? I started Is this, this official? Thing, I started this thing recording 10 minutes ago. Oh, fantastic. Um, okay, great. Uh, so I went up to see uh, where Much Ado was the first time I met you. Oh, Lord have mercy. Yeah, 1989. 89. That was the first year I moved here. That was the second show I ever did. You were in like Buffalo. ten years old then, <laughs> I, r- roughly. I was 26, Peter Palmasano. <clears throat> I am. I am 57 years old, and I own every year. I'm not a woman who tries you know, to pretend I'm younger. I'm proud of who I am and what, how old I am. So there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Well, that starts off on a really tasteful note. I thought so. Yeah, I, I remember that show. That was my first show, my, my first Shakespeare. Oh, was it really? Show. Yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. And uh, you and Glenn Tate, oh my God, it was just, oh. I just loved it. That, that, the music was wonderful, you guys, and, and I can say nice things to you because... My heart might stop, but go ahead. Yeah, but oh, the, the, your voices just together and individually... Oh. Thank I you. love that music anyway. Yeah. You know, I just love that time period, and I love that, I don't know, that, that era of music, and it just happened to hit. Never done Shakespeare before, and then I get thrown together with you and... The and, likes of us. Yeah, man. Oh, Jerry Finnegan. Jerry Finnegan. Jerry what a, Finnegan. Joe was in that, Joe Natale. Joe Natale. Yeah, yeah. Joe Natale. You know, that was... So I first came to... I'm not from Buffalo, 
What? Did you know that? Yeah. I, you I knew, knew that. I knew that. So I came here for a job Buffalo's for a year. Buffalo is filled with very nice people. I Well, that's why I'm still here, oddly enough. Because you didn't, you stuck out like a sore thumb. I did. People said. <laughs> My what, temperament. What, what is this? Uh, what is and, that? Uh, but I did not audition for Shakespeare in the Park. I was working at the alleyway. I had, had a contract there for a year. They got a grant for for one artist to be in all five shows. Mm -hmm. And I had been in Buffalo the summer before. I had a boyfriend from where I went to college in central New York. And I had auditioned, and then Neil called me, and I was like, sure, I'll do it. And my plan was, I'll be in Buffalo for a year as a working actor. Wow, I'm really proud. That's going to be great. And then I'll just move back to New York when I stop working. So I was in the first play called, which was at the end of the season, Holy Ghosts. And at alleyway. At, at the alleyway, and Ray Leslie was in the audience. Ray Leslie. Ray that's, Leslie. That's the name I couldn't think of. The Ray did the music. Yes, yep. Ray was a musical director, and uh, at the end of it, it's about um, Pentecostal snake handlers. <laughs> was this show <laughs> Holy Ghosts? I'm and not going to say a thing. You don't even. And at the end, I come out with snakes and I start singing gospel. Real, real snakes. Real, yeah. Ball pythons. We had we worked with real snakes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes, the real kind, not the <laughs> you really not the cut producer your teeth kind. On, uh, yeah. Buffalo Theater, you really learned how to deal with the snakes. But I go ahead. did, and so then, so Ray <laughs> approached me to be in the show, and that's how I got in the show. Oh. He okay, he said, "Hey," and he had already cast uh, Glenn Tate, and he thought our voices would work would work well together. Oh, and sure enough, know. I just showed up, and there's all these people, and hey, and for and for the audience who doesn't know this, we were singing standards like you know yes. from the 20s, 30s, and 40s. Uh, Glenn sang sophisticated, sophisticated lady, uh, things like that. That was the it first was Richard Hummer respect, and it was right. stunning. It yeah. was just amazing. Oh God, that music was. I'll probably have to cut 10 minutes of this out. That's we're, we're just sort of blathering. We're rambling. For, for no, no apparent we're reason. We're actors is All right, what so, we So where, where, did, where were you born? Where'd you come from? I was born in a little town in, in the Adirondacks called Boonville, New York. I swear to God, that's mm-hmm. the name of it. You know, well, I, I, I get the inevitable, oh, you're really from the boonies. <laughs> yeah, well, I am. So you went to school there and everything? I went to high know? school there at Adirondack Central School, and it was my father. Uh, when did you start singing? Oh, my gosh. Out of the freaking womb. Um, my I'm mother sure. studied music at Arizona State, and she wanted to be, at one point, an opera singer. And that's the only place I can really trace uh, my so you know, your, musical So your mother roots. had roots in, 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 like, legitimate opera? Well, she studied it at uh, Arizona State. Okay. And then she, well, <laughs> going back, back, but I'll make this brief. My mother originally wanted to be a nun. Yes, Yes, I know, I know. And you're looking at me going, you're the product of someone who wanted to be a nun? Are you kidding me? Sometimes people bounce all the way the opposite direction. Well, she sure did. So she wanted to take her final vows when she was 18. And my grand, and so she was a, a novitiate. So mm-hmm. my grandfather, my grandmother was Catholic and was fully behind it. My grandfather, back then, this was in the 50s, um, you had to have both parents' permission in order to, uh, for them to go in if they were under 21. I see. Right. No, I'm sorry. She was 20 when she wanted to do this. Um, and my grandfather said, nope, I'm not giving permission. I want you to go out in the, in the world for a year. And if you still want to be a nun after the, that, you'll have my blessing, but you won't need my permission. Very smart. Right? Very smart. Well, very smart because here I am, because she obviously <laughs> didn't go back. Yeah. She ended up going to Arizona State for music. 
and then she was back for a summer and uh, met my father. So was, the rest so is history. She, so did she have any other, uh, well, I, I don't know how to put it, but professional okay. exposure as a singer? No, she didn't. She just wanted to go. She was, you know, in the high school musicals and everything. She wanted to go for music, and she did. But then she ended up not finishing a degree because she met my dad. And the rest is history. And I kind of... And did you do did you do high school musicals and things like that I did. That that's, how, that's how I started. Actually, she started me. Um, she was at a community theater production of Little Abner. Okay. And she used to bring me to rehearsals because I would beg her because I was just fascinated. And the director at the time said, hey, we need extras for the Sadie Hawkins Day race. And my hand went up immediately. And I remember my mother bowing her head and shaking her head going, oh, no. Oh, no. And sure enough, that was it. And then I was in the two high school musicals after that. And, and how old were you at that point? At that, well, let's say I was 15. So then I was in, when I was 16, I was in the junior musical. And then 17, I was in the senior musical. And um, So at some point, bef- way before this, you must have, or your parents must have discovered that you had a voice. Oh, yeah. Well, I was I was always in chorus. Okay. But honestly, Singing I wasn't. Singing in church and stuff? Um, no. Sure, let's go with that. Yeah, let's go with I sang in church, not slept. Sang as, in church. As... Yeah. Well, I wasn't really a soloist back then. I don't think they realized, or I even realized that I could, you know, that I could really sing yes. until until college. I didn't end up going to college first for musical theater. I went for journalism, Morrisville. And that's how I have my TV and radio background, and I have an associate's degree in that. And was in the theater there, there wasn't a theater minor, but there was a great theater, you know, group program called the Friars. Um, and we would put on shows and I spent so much time there that my teacher, my theater teacher, Tom Gutchess, he's the reason I'm here today. I'm telling you, um, he said, I've only said this to one other person since I've been here. He said, I think you can make a living at this. And the at, next, at, at, uh, at, at theater, theater, at theater, not just singing. Not just singing. I think you could make a living at this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was shocked and thrilled. And he said, we're going to start looking at theater schools for you. Well, the next day he called me in and he said, okay, this is a sign. He said, I got an audition notice from the American Musical Dramatic Academy that they you have to audition that. for this. And um, I ended up going and auditioning and I got a scholarship. And I went, and here's that's an, in New York, yes. In New York, it's in New York yeah, City. I yeah, because when I was teaching, yep. I used to get those things in the mail also. Yeah. And I only had in in all my years of teaching, I only had one or two kids. I would even suggest it to. So that's pretty impressive. Right. So you went to AMDA. I did. Yeah. Yeah. In, in New York. For in how, New York. How long does that last? That was that a, uh, for two years. That it was, was a two-year program. It was a two-year program, conservatory program at that point, mm-hmm. because um, at that point it was for people who just wanted to do musical theater, or for people who had already taken core courses and other things, I which see. I already had. So it was a, a two-year program. Now they offer a four-year program. Mm-hmm. They're much bigger, but the things I learned there, I. I still use today. It's remarkable. We learned from people. Karen Gustafson was one of my theater, my musical theater teachers. She was the first woman conductor on Broadway. Stephen Sondheim used to come in and actually monitor our classes and give critique. No kidding. Oh, yeah. It was crazy. Oh, my God. That's amazing. Yeah. I was very, very fortunate. Very, very fortunate. That's why today I would say, and I do say to students and I do say to parents, if your child wants to go to school for acting, I would go to a four-year school where you're going to get your bachelor's, and then I would get your MFA so you can teach. Mm-hmm. So then you can truly 
make a living in in your art. You yes. might not be acting all the time, but if you're teaching, you'd be teaching for the most part during the day, and then you can work at night, you'd have which at least many partial, people a paycheck do here. of some kind coming in. Yes. So where yeah. did it go from AMDA? So from AMDA, it went to I was in AMDA for for two years, and then I stayed in New York for another two years. Um, no, another year. So I went for, to AMDA from 85 to 87. So I lived in New York, New York City mm-hmm. through the mid-80s, which wow. was a whole other podcast altogether. Peter, you and I will talk about the things I lived through, dancing with Madonna in the, in the China Club. And I, it's like nuts. So I went to school for two years. And then for a year after that, I just did the audition. The audition thing, I did a couple of off-off Broadway shows, mm-hmm. you know, like showcase mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. I did a lot of cabaret stuff, Don't Tell Mamas and and 88s and clubs that are closed now. But uh, then I is when I got the call from Neil Raddus. Okay. And so I thought... Well, how do you get a call from Neil Raddus? I mean, he is he somehow... How does he somehow become aware of you? I... Uh, or had you set out you know, resumes sort of thing. I did do that, but that's not how he, I, I still had a boyfriend in Buffalo, believe it or not, from Morrisville. And we stayed together when I was in New York and I would go back and he would come to see me. And I was back for, during the summer for a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, there's an audition. You know, I always liked to audition as much as I could just to keep that muscle, mm-hmm. you know, strong, whether or not you're going to accept a role or not. Um, so I saw an audition notice for the alleyway. Mm. And I did that, and he said, "So, would you be willing to, you know, to come back for that?" Yeah. And I said, "Yeah, let me, whatever the what the opportunity is, sure." And I ended up getting a call, and that's how I was here. I came here, and I said to myself, "You know, I just want to be a working actor, so I'll stay here." And then when I stop working here, I'll just move back to New York. Well, I never moved back because I got I got Shakespeare in the Park, and then I ended up getting a role in Nonsense, um, which was Mary Kate and Randy's Summer Fair <laughs> company. That was the of very first we're... show yes. for that. I ended up getting a Nonsense, and then it was I, you know, they say the theater community is vibrant now in 2020, but. Back then, in the late 80s, it was also. Mm-hmm. And it's really always been to a certain extent. So I just kind of had to have this talk with myself. Okay, what's important to me? Is it important for me to, quote, unquote, be on Broadway? Am I going to go back and audition and wait till we do that? Or is it important for me to just keep working my keep craft working. and be yep. happy? Yep. You know what? And that's what it was. Mm-hmm. And, you know, not everybody feels that way. Their ultimate goal is Broadway. Would I love to be on Broadway? Sure, I would. But... I wanted to work in what in what I loved as much as I could, and Buffalo afforded me that. Yeah, you want to work. Yeah, exactly. And so I, that's how I set myself up, and that was my goal to just keep working and get better at what I do. And and uh, my father owned a hardware store and a bookstore growing up, so I grew up in retail. So mm. I worked at the Gap. I managed a couple of Gap stores in New York City hmm. um, while I was there. That's how I kind of made my living, and yes, then I would right. go and. An audition and things like that. So I've, I've, and you know what? I've never ever regretted that decision. It brought me here to where I am. Mm-hmm. Like my, this mm-hmm. is my dream job. Yes, absolutely. You wouldn't have. T- I would. You know, if you would have asked me back then, what is your dream job? I wouldn't have said being artistic director at a theater. Running I wasn't theater, huh? in that headspace at that point. But my entire life and all of my experience and my different forms of education led me to this job. Mm-hmm. I'm very lucky that way. But you, you, uh, you'd come to Buffalo, you were doing things with Neil Raddus, 
you did a whole season there at, I did a whole, at the yep. alleyway? I did a whole season there, and then I worked for him on and off for the next 10 years after that. But then I also worked, did a lot of work for Musical Fair and all the other companies in town. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, and I and I fell, I fell in love with Buffalo. And I always end up coming back here because when I was married, you know, I was married and we moved... My husband at the time was a DJ, and we moved to Colorado. Mm -hmm. Carrie, we moved to Colorado for a job, and we stayed there for three years. But then when you met Carrie in Buffalo, was it? Were you doing radio at the time? I was doing television at the time. At at Channel Channel Seven, I was on uh, Offbeat Cinema. Mm -hmm. After we were married, um, I ended up getting the job at at AM Buffalo mm-hmm. as Linda Pellegrino's co-host. Um, so let me think. So you didn't, oh. so you didn't, you met Carrie, uh, aside from the radio gig, he was in radio. You were doing a little of the ch- uh, channel seven stuff. I was, I was on offbeat cinema and he was the program director at, uh, the, at the planet, which was, uh, the alternative station mm-hmm. back then. And he was also on the air and somebody, somebody said, Hey, you know, the, the afternoon drive guy on the planet talks about you. I was like, what? Oh, he loves your character. My character's name was Luna. I remember that. Yeah. I watched it. And he and he just talks about you. And mm-hmm. apparently he liked redheads. And he's like, now, black, you know, Offbeat Cinema was in black and white. He's like, trust me, I picture her as a redhead every time I see her. And so I started listening to his show, and I was laughing. And he would talk about me, and we had never met. And then... Um, John DeShulo got hold of that, found yeah. out that he had been talking about me, John, of course, the creator of Offbeat yes, Cinema. Yes, And um, well. we ended up uh, doing a segment over at the planet, and that's where Carrie and I met. Oh, yeah. okay. Yep. Right. Yep. For yep. some reason, of course, in my head, I'm thinking it must be because you did radio, but you did radio much, much later. Yeah, that, right. I mean, and as a matter of he's the one who he's the one who encouraged me mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. do it. When we moved to Colorado, um, I was looking for a gig. And he was on KBCO, which is legendary AAA station there. And I was trying to figure out what to do. And he found there was a ad in the paper for a morning show host on the AM station. Mm-hmm. And, he's, and he encouraged me. He's like, you should go for that. You should go for that. Well, I ended up getting it. So we were competitors. He was in mornings on <laughs> FM. I was mornings on AM. Oh. And we get up together and, and go to the station at the same, you know, we both got had to oh, get up at wild. 3 a.m. That, some ungodly. <laughs> oh my gosh. But Denver and, and Boulder, they're, they're both really wonderful theater towns too. And so mm-hmm. I ended up doing theater there and making some amazing friends. That I how still, long were you out there we were out there for three years and then so, why, why did you come back here uh we wanted to start a family oh, and which my you did which we did and my parents were the perfect the perfect ways away from buffalo I they understand. were three and a half hours away so they were close enough to come visit mm-hmm. but they had to call first mm-hmm. of course and we already and both of us carrie and i both loved buffalo that really is the perfect solution when, right? when they're that far away that's right yeah. so and we had my son declan and um he's an a student i don't i don't get it i don't get it i don't get it i met the young man remember he's, oh that's right I, that's I, right obviously takes after his dad i know yeah so oh, that's just it carrie and i would constantly joke because neither of us were 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 necessarily great in high school. Mm-hmm. We were all, you know, he and was at the radio. And you kept looking at Declan and where did this kid come from? Well, Carrie and I would say, somewhere there are some really straight A, <laughs> very intelligent parents going, Genes how did a- we end up with a dumb kid? Oh. I understand. Somehow they got switched at the hospital. At the hospital. Yeah. That's what we always thought. Yeah. Oh, he's smart. And, you know, I don't make him come to shows anymore. He will once in a while. If he knows something's <laughs> important to me, he will. Yeah, and yeah. the first time, you know, I asked him, do you want to come to the show? He's like, okay, mom, this is, this is how I'm going to explain this to you. I help you with your lines at home. 
so I already know what the show's about. I hear you sing all the songs while you're rehearsing. Why would I go? Yeah, what, what I already, I if I've sing? heard the show. Yeah. And I could not argue with that. Yeah. You just say something like, well, Peter's in this show, and you might like to... No, I wanted him to come see the show, Peter. Oh, oh I'm sorry. I got, I got right, 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 right. No, 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 this is what we got. Yeah. yeah. So we, we got to get to the cab. How oh, you, yeah. Because you get to the cab, and yeah. now, you're, now you're in your dream job. Yeah. And... Uh, I remember when I directed something here, uh, other desert cities, I think it was, and I said, you weren't even involved in in doing props and those sorts of things, but you had done it once or twice. Right. And those were the days when they would say, "Eh, you know, people will bring in stuff. And I said, no, I need to have Lorraine come in and be set decorator because there was no Diane Jones. Right. There was nobody here doing that sort of thing. And I said, no, I have to have Lorraine because I had seen shows that you had done just de- set decorations or props and, and right. just on a whim. You know, I've always sewn and so I've I've always been a costume designer. Mm-hmm. I've always kind of done that. But props and set deck was something that I kind of got into when I started producing my own shows. Like I pro- I had, I for a couple of years, I had a company called Women in Theater with Maureen Porter. Maureen I was going to ask about that because it, yeah. it, it jumped to the calf, but then I was going to ask you what other theater uh, experiences you had had. And I remember there being a company. Yeah. Go ahead, tell, talk about it. Yeah, Maureen, Maureen Porter and I just started um, producing things, and we tried to hire as many women as possible, mm-hmm. being women in theater. And uh, so a lot of that stuff we kind of did did all of our own stuff. So mm-hmm. I would do props, I would do set deck, and, and other things like that. And then I just started doing it for a living before I started really doing a lot of radio stuff. Just like a lot of people in this business, I would have like five jobs. I'd be prop in one show, I'd be costume in one, mm-hmm, I'd do mm-hmm. weekends on, you know, on YRK, I'd do. So I had all the stuff to kind of put together mm-hmm. one measly little salary. <laughs> but I learned so much from that and I've worked for I almost every theater in town that I can think of. I was with Red Thread Theater for a short time, helping with that. I. You know, and then in various shows, mm-hmm. working for everybody. So, so yeah. So that's how. Okay, now, all right, now we can jump ahead to the cab. Okay, now, and, yes. and so, in in a nutshell, you can sort of tell this story about how you ended yeah. up where you are. Yeah. So I think part of that, Peter, and this is going to pay me to say this. I think I have you to thank for first bringing me on here. Is that because after that happened, Joe then called me to start doing set deck and props on a more permanent basis. Mm-hmm. So then I started doing time stand still and they kind of liked having somebody there all the time. Yeah. So that's what I did. Um, and then I acted in some things and at one point the, so after Joe Demerly left, mm-hmm. um, I kind, and I knew they were, they were looking for somebody and I thought, wow, that would actually, I would really like that job, but I was in things. And so I was helping in the office. I was doing marketing and things like that. And I met Bill Mariani, who is the interim president after mm-hmm. sister Denise, the president of a college stepped down. Um, I got to know Bill and Bill passed away three, a few years ago and Bill, I credit Bill with saving the theater Hmm. because the theater was, they could have closed the theater and they were thinking about it. It was losing money. It was for years. So they were thinking about closing it, but I I don't blame them Mm -hmm. because they had done nothing but support the theater for years and years and years. And, you know, no institution can continue to do that for a long period of time. No, not lose money. And lose money, no. And they did. So... 
Bill's, you know, I sat down and talked to Bill. He saw my business resume, which I told you, you know, I've, I've managed several retail businesses of all different kinds in my career. Mm -hmm. And, uh, with my journalism background, having, you know, being, you know, with marketing and publicity and things like that, Bill hired me as managing director, Mm -hmm. which I just, I loved. So I did that for the first two years. And then after David retired, uh, I was offered the job of executive artistic director. Mm. Many arts organizations the size of the Cavanoke are now combining their managing director and their artistic director right. um, as, as a cost-cutting measure, obviously, but that's one of the reasons that we're, that organizations our size can survive mm-hmm. is because we do rely a lot on grants and donations and things like that. No matter how many seats we're filling, it doesn't matter. It doesn't, we always need. I mean, yeah. it does matter. We need that. Of it's course. not going to pay the bills, even if we sell out every night. It's not. It's not going to pay the bills. So um, a lot of organizations are trying to put the business person and the artistic person together. Mm-hmm. And there's not a lot of people who can do that, mm-hmm. you know. But I again, that's why this is the perfect job for me, and I feel confident saying that and want to cry at the same time because I'm. So, I know how fortunate I am. I'm so fortunate. And you and you have a great and you have a great staff now that's that's more uh, permanent. Yes. I mean, you got the absolutely. great Norm Sham who is yep. uh, who is just great, and and you know, and Jeff and everybody and, and David upstairs. Yeah. Oh, I know what I wanted to ask you. So, after you finally become get this dream job and you look around was there something that you said to yourself here's what i want to do first you know like when the president comes in on the on day one i'm gonna do this but i mean (laughs) was there something you said to yourself i think what i want to do at the cab what i want to change or what i want to uh, uh, adjust or what i want to build or was there something that you immediately said Here's where I want to go with this. Yeah, there there was. I, I think now I I give obviously I give you know huge huge credit and props to David Lamb who who started this 40 years ago. You know, blood, sweat, and tears. He and his son actually built the stage. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, so so well, much I, David, of that. I, I mean, I hate to point fingers, but it's David's fault that I'm here. He hired me for the first time. It, it, oh, Lord have mercy. And I had no idea that it was what I was doing. <laughs> I, I still don't, but I wouldn't be doing I wouldn't okay. be doing this podcast. So I can blame him. That's yeah, fantastic. You can blame to him know. for that. Good to know. Yeah. Good to know. So anyway. So, <laughs> so um, uh, a lot of, and this is the same for some artistic directors throughout the country too, is that I think they tend to program towards their taste. Mm-hmm. And I think that might have been what's happened over over the years. And David has great taste, mm-hmm. so that worked for a long, long time. But I think things kind of got stagnant in a way. Um, audiences were starting to dwindle, and and we needed to shake it up. Did and you think so, we needed more? We did you think you needed more commercial uh, uh, appeal? I did, but I also wanted to keep the integrity of continuing to do new work. Mm-hmm. And so my uh, my idea was to have a season that's diverse in content as well as in casting, mm-hmm. because. I think having one season where you get to see you get to see a big musical, a small musical, a new work off Broadway or the West End, mm-hmm. um, maybe a classic drama, and then a new comedy, something like that. That not only entertains our audience, that educates our audience mm-hmm. about the kind of theater that's out there yes. too. 
right? Yes. Um, and not just popular for popular sake. I mean, I'm never going to program something, I mean, to my mind, that is not good just because I think hundreds and thousands of people are going to come to this. Yes. No, it's yeah. got to have it's got to have a certain, you know, it's it, it's got to be a good show. Mm-hmm. It's got to have good content. Um, but so also more eclectic the, mix. Yeah, more exactly all. a more a more eclectic mix of shows. But st- and then making sure that every production element is the best that we can make it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely the best we can make it. However, then you have to toss in there. Um, efficient financially. Financially, sure. So that's where it's different now with me being the money person and the artistic person. Um, so I can I can wish and dream for, oh, I love that couch. Oh, that couch is $5,000. Nope, we're going to find a couch mm-hmm. that looks similar that's so-and-so. Yes. Um, that's the stuff that's that has yeah. happened mm-hmm. and that needs to happen. So that was, that was the main thing. Does the thing. college keep a, cl- uh, a closer eye now? I, I mean, are they more involved? You, you, you said yourself yeah. that you, you know, when you were artistic directing and you, you were trying to choose a season, which is a job I wouldn't want in a million years, but you're choosing right. a season, but you're also saying, but we can afford this, but we can't afford that because you're also the managing director. Right. Does the college also keep their fingers in the pie? Do they also come to you and say, okay, what, uh, you know, what's the season looking like? What's the, what's the budget looking like? Right. Are they, how involved are they in that sort of oh, thing? They're, they're very involved because I'm the one who makes the budget. Mm-hmm. So I present my you budget to, to them. them. Yeah. I submit it to them and I tell them why we need certain things and they approve that. And sometimes, you know, I'll say I need this much money for this show, but then they'll go, eh, but you know what? We need to scale it back this much. Mm-hmm. So there is give and take within that. Uh, the, the new thing um, about this administration and Dr. Lori Clemma, who's the president, she is so theater positive. She is such a patron of the arts. Well, first of all, she comes to see she comes and sees all of our shows and she talks up all of our shows now the grants department here at duville the you know the institutional advancement department they help me write for grants and help me with donations i was just at a workshop with a group of them yesterday as a matter of fact that didn't really happen they would say oh okay we'll help you before it was we'll help you with the county grant here you know fill these in and we'll just fill out everything else Mm -hmm. um that's how it used to be not anymore they are helping me find new grant opportunities they're helping me write these these things um and you have regular meetings with them yeah absolutely that didn't that didn't happen in the past and so they're committed to well they're, they're committed to our excellence and we're committed to to um you know bringing try to bring a balanced budget to because everybody asks oh you know is the theater going to close if you if, if you keep losing money well sure it is and it should yes um but now this administration has given us the tools to do it before i think they wanted to be supportive of the theater so they just they would look the other way if mm-hmm. there was a huge deficit and they did that for years well that's not happening anymore and but now they see that being more involved and and i think hiring you know a good staff in place that's that's what what's making the difference and this year um we're going to be so close so close to breaking even and everybody knows if you're in an arts organization you you don't dream about making money you dream about breaking even yeah because you just want the money that you're going to get to to put on good shows for your patrons Mm -hmm. and hopefully oh it's not a money making enterprise at all but it shouldn't be a money losing enterprise exactly either 
And, and exactly. Now that they, they've discovered that the hands-off approach that they were using in the past, although it may have worked in the past, right. uh, it, it doesn't work so well now. Who's responsible for all of the physical changes? Do you remember telling me this? That's that, that's Dr. Lori Clemmel. That's our new president. Is oh, our new. she is the one, not just the theater, though, not just the you know the, the hallways and the mm-hmm, restrooms, mm-hmm. but now the entire campus yeah. is is changing and blossoming because of her leadership. Mm-hmm. It really is. Uh, if you've, I think you've just, if you've walked around to some of the places I that have. maybe um, they're put, you know, they've got new classrooms, state, state of the art equipment. Um, because honestly, for years, this place looked like what it was. It was an old, the you know, old Catholic school. girls' school yep. and convent, pretty much. They, they, they the, the nuns. They just walk the halls here now, and it, it, the, right. the the glass enclosed uh, classrooms and, the, and right. the study areas and yeah. the audio visual. The, the, there's just in the last. As you said, three years, I guess it's been. Three years. It uh, is yeah. a remarkable change. And then I read about it all the time in the paper. Oh, oh yeah. They, they bought this property. They're putting up this building or they're putting on, making a, a sports field over here. Or what, it's A lot has changed. A lot has changed. And the main thing that's changed is they are putting, you know, we're right here in the middle of the west side, mm-hmm. right, um, which has its economic disadvantages and everything else. We're putting up a medical hub on the corner of west and Connecticut. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a $25 million building, I believe. Wow. The bo- first floor of that is going to be a clinic for the West Side. Brilliant. Where our our you know physicians assistant students nursing students it's going to be a practical clinic for the West Side and then what the, a genius idea oh yeah and then the other two the other two floors are going to be for our simulated patient programs mm-hmm. that's how the kids learn here we have actors like you and me I don't know if you you know a few people Gail Golden participates mm-hmm. in this um, other actors where um, students come in and and actually ask questions and they pretend that they're students mm-hmm. or they pretend they're patients yes. and they have, and that's a practical way of, of learning. Yes. I also have to tell you, I'm incredibly proud of being part of this institution because they reached out to me, the pharmacy department, and they want their students to be prepared to, um, to serve all people, mm-hmm. all different kinds of people, um, including the transgender community. They asked me um, to bring three transgender friends of mine on Mm -hmm. so that their students can ask questions and things like that. So um, they're incredibly inclusive and progressive, and that makes me so proud to be part of DUVL. Very quickly. Sure. You just got some a new grant. Oh. And you're happy about it. I'm so happy. You want to talk about it a little bit? I do. Just tell us what you have in mind or or what it's going to be used for. uh, I do. It's a matching grant. It's from the Regional Economic Development Corporation uh, Council, and um, it's New York State Mm -hmm. uh, and NISCA. It's a matching grant. So what we had to do was we had to propose um, capital improvements for the theater. We explained to them that we've got our take a seat program going on, yes. and for carpeting and new seats was going to be about one hundred thirty thirty thousand dollars, and we had already raised about seventy. Uh, then we also proposed an awning for outside, outside on Prospect yeah. Avenue, a Broadway style awning that would have lights, would have our name on it. People would actually be able to see where the mm-hmm. where the theater is now. Well, there's a little teeny tiny sign up there now. I know. <laughs> now and the, lately, I've got these big red feather flags I, out there those, too. Yeah. But but still, nothing says theater like an awning. Yes, absolutely. And then um, this was also going to be for a projection system within the theater, so we can actually use the theater during the day for the kids and a projection motorized screen that comes down from the proscenium. Nice. Mm-hmm. We can also use it for 
theater productions. Mm-hmm. And so we got $145,000. So now that means our seat campaign is is fine. You've got we're, that taken care of. Yep. That, those seats are going in in June. So for September, brand new seats and carpeting. And I think also we're, we're looking at repainting the entire inside of the theater and doing all the plaster work because you know the beautiful scroll work that's up there that's a plaster yes it's beautiful but it needs it needs help yes it's starting to disintegrate and so they're going to they're going to fix that as well it's still that i mean (laughs) i see things up there that i saw in 1981 what the first the first show (laughs) i'm not Mm -hmm. kidding first show i i I did here uh okay so you want to talk about anything else that's going to come up in the future i am just proud to be heading this organization and to be able to and so many women are taking control now yeah well i mean it used to be it used to mm -hmm. be we had meg over at at toy right and and now and now we've got we've got second generation we've got the irish classical we've got here yeah i mean it's it's pretty cool it's an exciting i know you don't believe this about me but um i'm the biggest (laughs) feminist you know because there have been no boys in my family since 1957 my brother was the last boy born. Is that in, right? In my immediate family, I wow. had a girl. My brother had two girls. My oh, other brother funny. had two girls. My daughter has two girls. My brother, my brother's daughter, just had a girl. Right. There's been nothing but. So don't ever tell me, you know, women can't do this or that. Or had a boy, because it's, it's my whole, it's my yeah. whole freaking family. Yeah. So no, um, it's it, it's exciting. It's pretty cool. Well, so what I do want to say is, and I I'm not going to announce anything. We're going to announce our season March sixth. Mm-hmm. Um, but the one thing I would like to announce is kind of like a tease for next season Mm -hmm. is that um you know 2020 is the 100th anniversary of the ratification of the 19th amendment which gave the women the right Mm -hmm, to vote mm -hmm. and in honor of that and actually not in honor of that in a way all we are having all female directors next year oh all female directors. Well, it's been pretty close yeah yeah that's great but but here's what's funny about that i didn't do it because it's the anniversary. Mm-hmm. When I was putting the season together, way? it just worked out that way, and I was like, "Oh wow, this is this will be this will be great." And I said that to my board and uh, and uh, one of the uh, people, Linda Roberts, on on my board actually said. You realize that 2020 is actually the 100th. I was like, I'm using that. I am using that. So yeah, so it's so it's exciting. And again, I didn't do it with that intention. I looked at these shows we're gonna do, and I thought of the best people to direct these, and it just happened to be women. So it was a happy accident, Super. and I'm thrilled. And I will say, Peter, one thing you didn't ask me, which I actually want to say, the hardest part of my job. Mm. What's the hardest part of your job? Thanks, right? Peter. That's, I, I thought it would I, be I'd picking like a season, that. frankly. I, Actually, no, it's not. Let me tell you what it is. What is it? Um, as you know, I've been entrenched in this theater community for like 30 years now, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. The hardest part of my job is casting. Because I remember what it was like to be an actor mm-hmm. and how frustrating it is if you're working at one theater but you can't quite get your foot in in another the other, theater. The other theater. Yep. And I remember I remember thinking, every artistic director in town should be required to see every other show in town at every other theater. Oh, dear God in heaven. You can't. You can't. You can't. And um, I really pride myself on picking the right person for the right role. There are so many talented people in town, and I wish I could hire all of them every season, Mm -hmm. but I can't. No. 
I mean, it's a great problem to have because it's such it's such you know a We're wealth with wealth of talent. a wealth of talent. So I know there's I can think of a couple people in my head. I've been here for for three years, and two of those years I've had a hand in in picking you know picking actors. And there are some people who are incredibly talented who keep coming to me and going, really nothing this year, and it it's like a knife to my heart mm-hmm. because. No, I'm sorry. Maybe next year. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. I I want to use everybody at some point, but my main thing is whoever's best, whoever's best for the role, mm-hmm. and that makes me sad that I can't make everybody happy. But that's that's my job, and I have that's what I have to do. Yeah. You know. Okay. Oh, it's here uh, we well. Go. This show's called this show's called Off Road. That's the name of this podcast. And so I want to take you off road for a second. And if you were off the road of theater, and I mean all ancillary theater sorts of things. Oh, okay. Where what would you be doing? It's not an easy question, is it? If like what would I like what would my dream thing be or what would I do if theater had nothing to do with it? What would your dream thing be? What what do you have an interest in that you you just haven't you, you took a different road? Yeah. You took you took the road of, of of musical theater. Okay. And now you're back at the beginning of your uh, I don't know, your college career. Okay. Which direction where I would you exactly go? I know exactly where I'd be. Really? Yeah. Okay. I would be a homicide detective. What the heck? I would be, or perhaps F, in the FBI. I am fascinated, Peter. I am. Now you have to talk about fascinated. This for a I am fascinated with why people kill, or why people choose that other road. I'm fascinated with that. Like I can't watch enough. I can't watch enough true crime stuff. Yeah, yeah. I and part of. Part of that started, I was in Boulder, Colorado when John Benet Ramsey was killed. Mm, okay. I, I was in the middle of all of that. I was actually a talking head on, on several shows during that time because I was also in the media. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I saw firsthand I, what, what was going on with, with uh, the DA with the detectives, uh, what went wrong. That's seriously, this is a whole other podcast because I could do, we could do a couple hours on this. Um, So I saw firsthand what can go right and what can go wrong with an investigation. And since that happened, I have just, I can't get enough of the true crime stuff. I can't get enough of what's inside, what's inside a murderer's mind, what makes them do what they do, including, you know, how they grew up and, and psychology. So it's a mixture of, I'm fascinated with, with psychology and just how detectives find, um, find who did what and why. That's, that's, that's very interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. I would. Wow. Yeah. Well, well, there's one interesting thing about me that you find. That's <laughs> I think if we've if we've learned nothing else, you find one thing about me interesting, Peter. That to me is a win. Now, did I say that it was about you? I just thought the whole <laughs> career was a choice. It was an interesting answer. Hey, Lorraine O'Donnell, thank you very much for being with us on Off Road. It was my pleasure. Mine, Peter. All mine. We'll cut that. No, 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 no. I told you the left lane is for passing. Oh, never mind.
Lorraine O'Donnell would end up being a homicide detective. Well, you just never know what the off-road question, which reminds me, I, I have to come clean. I was thinking about, I wanted to have some question that I could ask people that, that would, you know, reveal something interesting about them that no one had thought of before. And I said to my daughter, I said, you know, I'm thinking the show's called Off-Road, and I'm thinking of asking them something about, you know, what other interests they have in life, something that's off the road of their current interests, and things talked about during the podcast. And my daughter said to me, well, why don't you ask them what they would have done if they hadn't gone into the field that they went into? And that's where the off-road question came from. It was a sort of a collaborative thing. And actually, to be honest, another friend of mine had said, you know, the podcast should have something that people tune in looking forward to. Something that uh, every week they wonder, oh, what's going to be the answer to this? And so I thought about it, and that's where I came up with this off-road kind of idea, this question about what are your other interests. And it was my daughter, to give full credit, who came up with the idea that why don't you ask them what field they would have gone into if they didn't end up in the field they are currently in. So just so I don't get another irate phone call, I wanted to clear that up. Oh, hell, now I'm going to get an irate phone call about that. But thanks again to Lorraine O'Donnell for sitting down with me. And just think, kids, Lorraine didn't get her dream job until she was over 50. I think there's a lesson to be learned there. And that's why I keep my hopes alive. Now, next week, I hope to have an interview with Pete Johnson, uh, or Traz Johnson, as he's sometimes known in the hip-hop world. He's going to be sitting down with me in a few days, and I'm sure it'll be an interesting conversation with Pete Johnson. And after that, uh, Adam Crudinger, who made the puppet you'll be seeing in uh, Hand to God, the next RLTP Road Less Traveled production. We'll talk more about that when the time comes. So, see you back here in a couple of weeks for Off-Road, an RLTP podcast. Mm-hmm.